We are uh, in the Sermon on the Mount this morning, Matthew 6. Last time I was in Matthew 6, it was six years ago. We're going to slop over into Matthew 7. My apologies, I think it was the last time the oars were here. Um, back last year I was in Matthew 7, but I'm saying different things. I'm making up different things. Um, but the Sermon on the Mount, everyone knows about it, right? Because Jesus' nice block of teaching there in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Everybody, well, I've heard people refer to it as the constitution of the Christian church. You know? that's, that's someone trying to be quotable. Um, he goes after things, and a lot of people don't like, really, don't like the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus... He's a difficult person, really difficult. Think of your opinion of yourself, okay? Now, can you imagine if you were the God you thought you are, how hard you would be to live with? Because that's how we go through life, making expectations of everyone around us that they fit our narrative. They step into the, our way of doing things. They have our views of politics or whatever else. And God came to earth in Christ and he had to walk through a life knowing that was actually true. So occasionally, sometimes, he lays it out for you and we find ourselves going, I need to explain this passage away. So I thought we'd try explaining it away this morning. Um, hopefully not successfully. The uh, Sermon on the Mount has that first part in the chapter 5 that's about, you know, the Beatitudes and then, then you have heard it said this, but I tell you that. And chapter 6 begins with sort of religious piety issues, um, alms, praying, fasting, has the Lord's Prayer in that section. And we're beginning right here in verse 19 of chapter 6, because he switches topics to economics. And I have them, verses 19 through 24, on the left-hand side, top of the column, because they're sort of introductory in my mind. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's worded weird enough that you don't have to really think about it, so just don't. Because we don't want to stop and think, especially in America, with capitalism running amok, opportunity everywhere, money lying about in heaps, just to be collected, people being foolish with their dollars, wanting to buy a widget off of you because you got widgets. But we know this warning, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then there's a second warning, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? There's a, 
a warning now that suggests that your perception, your way of looking at things, if you've bended your apprehensions in the way of darkness, it's going to be great for you. It's going to be a great darkness for you. Now, I wanted to lay this into, because he says, says something financial again. If you have, let's, let's apply that darkness thing. If you have the wrong view of treasures on earth and treasures in heaven, it's not just your heart will be there instead of over there. Your heart will be with money instead of with God. But it will be darkness. There will be other darknesses too. You could be caught up in other kinds of looking at things that bend your mind and bend your apprehension. But let you know in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay? These are basically the rules. The, your heart's going to be where your treasure is. You're either going to be light or you're going to be darkness, depending on how you look at your world. And um, don't think you can appease both of these as masters. You can have both of them in your life. No, that's no problem with I mean, Jesus was a well-dressed young man. Went to the right parties. Didn't have much to live on, but, you know, no place to lay his head. But he was far better off than his cousin. But you cannot serve God and man. Now, with those things sitting on you, you're, you're working your way through Jesus, because remember, we are Christians, we're not Paulicans. Okay? St. Paul informed us on a lot of things regarding the nature of the life, the theology of the life, great. Christ taught us, while on earth, many things that we should be spending on. We four guys decided to write his life from different angles to give you access to this. So you're going to have to ask yourself this morning, where do you want your heart to be? Do you want to, be, do you want to have that clear in your mind where your heart is? Um, is your life going to have the darkness, which is a good band, by the way, um, is darkness coming? At the end of your days, no matter what you did with your 401k, no matter what you did with your retirement, no matter how much you planned, the way you looked at your life just is building darkness on darkness, and then in your grand old age, they're not rising up to call you blessed. Have you turned aside from God? Have you started to serve some other agent than God? Now, with that, that, that thing sitting on you, when he says in Matthew 6, 25, top of the right-hand column, therefore I tell you, because of these things, because of, don't lay up treasures on earth, you can't serve God and mammon, what kind of eyes are you looking at this with? Therefore, I tell you, and I put I tell you in red. Probably says in the King James, verily, verily, I say unto you, which you just lost the, the whole reference there. Verily, verily, I say unto you. 
Christ is telling you, first person, this is a quote, I tell you, do not be anxious for your life. Now, because it's wonderful about Jesus, he, because he knows stuff, right? He made this. All things were made through him and for him. He knows what's going on. That is the answer to the problem. Because if you look at that, don't lay up treasures on earth. And then there are people with real furrowed brows in the Christian faith who are looking at you as you drive your whatever nice car you have up to church and looking at you like, well, how could this be serving God and mammon? People who start being antagonistic to money. Christ, when he looks at these issues and says, okay, we got to deal with this. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life because that's where money becomes a problem. Right? You only have difficulty with people serving mammon because they really think that's the answer. We know in the scriptures it says, Bread is for laughter and wine gladdens life, but money answers everything. She's supposed to go glory at that moment, or hallelujah. Money answers everything. Money is really great stuff. The Lord wants it to be in a certain place in your life, and it is not being served, it is not being treasured. Your heart shouldn't be in it, and you shouldn't see the world looking through the, the lens of money. And you avoid this by not being anxious about your life. Now, I was in a discussion. The reason I'm preaching on this is some of the guys in the house, so it was Bradley, Tom, and Tristan came into the library yesterday, and we were talking about something, got around to these sorts of things. And uh, one of the verses of going over uh, came up, and and Tristan's memory of it was uh, a different translation. So it gave me, you know, something to look up. So I went and looked it up. So that's how I got here. But we're about, I would say, anxiety in the world. I'm not going to say it's the biggest crime against God, but it seems like it's the most prevalent. Far above lust. Far above hatred and anger. Anxiety. Everybody who's anxious thinks they have a perfectly legitimate reason. And of course I'm anxious. My kids are on a trip. I'm sorry your kids went on a trip. Because our Lord said, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food? The body more than clothing? Do you understand what you're looking at? Remember, you're the kind of person that is either going to see the anxiety and, and step forward to fix it with your money, or 
You're going to go, you know, I actually look at this and go, you know, life's more than this. Life is more than this crisis of need, this crisis of threat, what I shall eat. Well, you think that's a kind of a basic thing to be concerned about, right? I'm not anxious about when my kids are going to be at the dentist next, but I, I think it's legitimate for me as a parent to be responsible. You can use that word now. You can pull that one out. Well, Evan, you're just talking about a responsible man. I did the, mm, you're hiding anxiety under words. And you think that these things, clothing and food, don't be anxious about your life. Life's more important than this. Your little running around in a circle, you know, clasping your pudgy hands together in fear. I know not all of you have pudgy hands. But I live with pudgy hands, so I... Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Is not life more important than these things? Are you not more important than these things that are fed in nature? And which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to his span of life? Uh... Well, which of you can? That was the verse that came up, because some translations say, to his height, or to his stature. The word can mean either. It's a matter of which way you think the context goes. I don't think it matters which way. You, you can't do either. You can add, can't add a cubit to the length of your life. You can't add a cubit to your stature by being anxious. Which of you could do this? Is, is, is this even productive? Well, it's an energy. It's a passion. Of course, it gets you doing things. It's not productive wisely. It gets you doing things. Serving the anxiety. Laying up treasures because Lord knows... I have to do that. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon. Maybe you've seen pictures, not photos, but paintings. Solomon in his glory. And you've stopped to look at an orchid or a rose and you realize, my goodness. As we are just pikers at design. We're just, we're not, we don't have color down, really. We're just borrowing it from, the, from nature. And you're, but in the back of your mind you're going, I don't think that's really fair, Jesus. That you're saying that the birds of the air get fed and flowers are pretty. That's your reasoning? I mean, it sounds like he's a, some sort of cult leader, right? Oh, my children, you don't have to worry about our next meal, nor about your clothes, because look at those things. And you're going, but I'm a responsible American. Thank you very much, Jesus. And I know where Costco is. Are you feeling superior to Jesus Christ here? That's a temptation. No one will tell. I won't put it up on Facebook. I see that hand. 
people. Who admitted it? Is Jesus wrong? But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O men of little faith? And that's what he calls you who is starting to think that you were wearing the big boy pants in the discussion and Jesus was being all infantile. He's thinking of you as, ah, someone who doesn't believe in God. Remember, you can't serve God and mammon. So Jesus is going, oh, you don't believe in God, do you? And then back in the back of your mind, you're going, what is, what is heaven saying? Is he saying, we're just supposed to walk out and our, you know, cut the soles off the sh- our, our, our shoes and, 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 and be, wear sandals and, and not do, have a job, do stuff, just help the poor. No. I want you to be exactly like you are, but not being anxious about your life. Because it's your belief, it is your eye, it's the lamp. If it's not sound, you will be dark. And you will live in darkness, and the darkness will become greater, and you will find that you have bowed to a gold idol, because that was your answer. There could two men can have a million dollars in the bank, and one man could be obedient to his God, and the other man not obedient to his God. One didn't lay up the treasure. He wouldn't mind if the bank got robbed, and he didn't have it anymore. He wouldn't mind loaning it to somebody and not being repaid. Because, you ever read that passage? Loan without expecting a repayment. You go, what? What do you think a loan is, Jesus? Not only do I want it repaid, I want interest on my loan. And the guy doesn't ever bring you back the lawnmower. And you're having a major struggle because you serve mammon. It is your answer to things, O men of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things. You're not a men of little faith, you're like Gentiles. Of course, we're all Gentiles here. You're like unclean, you're like peasants, or people from France. You know, whatever's your, your negative view, you can pick some. It used to be up when I was little, it was Pollocks, right? Anybody Pollock here? Uh, Irish? Can't stand the Irish. Uh, okay. My wife. Dang it. Um, the Gentiles seek all these things. Shouldn't you be better than that? Shouldn't you have a little more faith than that? Shouldn't you look at Jesus going, you know I made this world. But you said, I, you know, I stopped believing you made this world back when I took an anthro class in college. And I didn't think that the creation was that important a doctrine, so I didn't sustain it. You stop believing in Jesus Christ creating heaven and earth. You stop believing he actually made the flowers that way. 
And he made the bird survive without a, more than a bird brain and no industry. Do you think they're worried? They don't even know what tomorrow means. Not only do the Gentiles seek all these things, this is a revelatory about what I'm saying about anxiety. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's not not going, ah, you need nothing, grasshopper. No, you need all the stuff. You need to make the payment from the car. You need to pay your student loans. You need to feed the kid, kids. You need to take Wesley to the doctor because Addison pushed him down a flight of stairs. She told me during the break. Expenses come up. And the Lord knows you need them. You say, you think that as soon as the word need enters the picture, you are justified in anxiety. Okay, you need it. You bet you need to eat. You don't get to write whatever ticket of arrangement of of the cosmos you want because you need to eat. If I need to eat, am I able to rob? I don't know, some of you might say yes. But you're already saying it's okay to be anxious. Now this is, I'm going to be a little direct here, if I haven't already. Uh, This is kind of a chick thing. Men are far more comfortable in using the words to throw it onto the, the concern the Lord has. I'm just being responsible. And I'm going to get a few of those conversations afterwards, I'm sure. Women never believe themselves when they, you know, the, the anxiety is always kind of there. The Lord says, do not be anxious about your life. Are you going to obey the Lord Jesus Christ or are you not? Whether it's the guy form of it or whether it's the girl form of it. The Lord knows you need these things. That's not the point. The supposition that you get to have a passionate response called anxiety. Because you have a need that you cannot prophesy how it's going to be fulfilled. And so you start filling in the blanks and writing the fiction and the narrative that's either going to answer it, if you're optimistic, or the fact that it'll never be answered through Jesus. And so you're weeping yourself to sleep at night over a college fund you haven't even started for your three-year-old. Don't have a college fund for any of your children. Make them work their hiney off to go through school. I'm sorry, that'll help. Just a little tip. Not from Jesus. But what does he do? He says, I know, I know you need it. And the whole world, this is what's confusing to us because the whole world has no faith. They're like Gentiles. They're seeking all of these needs. They're answering their problems with mammon. And they're answering their problems about food. And they're answering their problems about clothing. And we trot along after them, trying to come up with Christian justifications for thinking just like the Gentiles. And the Lord's going, hello, don't do that. I know you need it. 
This is my path to it. Your anxiety is not path to it. Serving money is not path to it. Laying up treasures on earth is not the path to it. That is the voice of anxiety. It says in verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. Look, Jesus is going to give you the stuff. Doesn't tell you how. It's not saying, if I do this, it'll all be magically on my doorstep. Now, I grew up in a home where the life, the ministry life was there, and the Lord provided that way. But I think the Lord provides all the other ways too. But there are people who serve their job, their anxiety, their eye is not sound. They're not looking at a world in which God's kingdom and God's righteousness and a world that God made where his benevolence is known and I am asked to have faith in him. They're not thinking that. So they live by paycheck. They live by their responsibility. They live by insurance. All these things will be yours as well if you take his kingdom and his righteousness. But I, I don't have enough time to be afraid if I'm, I'm seeking God on things and serving his kingdom. I need more time to be afraid. Therefore, verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. That's where anxiety lives, is tomorrow. Because anxiety is the passion, not of something you're enjoying or fearing right now. You don't, you, it's fearing something you don't face right now. It's carrying a fiction in your head about tomorrow. He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow, it says. Are you going to be? Well, that's not sensible, Evan. Uh, Lord of the universe, not Evan. Lord of the universe, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ said, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Have you ever been anxious about tomorrow? I don't see those hands. Maybe I picked the wrong group. The group. Uh, maybe you have never worried. Now, you say, I want to share something personal with you. Unburden myself, be transparent. I want you to know me better. I seem like I'm a, I'm a comfortable man. My grandchildren view me as a mattress. Um, people come over to my house, they find me seated in my leather chair at ease with life. And so they have a, maybe a, a, a reputation out there that Evan, grasshopper, is cool about it. I want you to know that the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest temptation in my life is worry. That's what's suggested to me in every circumstance. Before I am impatient with my wife, returning from a shopping trip in Spokane, and she's not back at 5.30 like she said she would be, before I am tempted to impatience, I immediately picture her wrapped around a telephone pole someplace with the bumper of the new Explorer, you know, jammed into her head. Vivid. It's vivid. 
I remember waiting up with my mother when I was a teen, when dad wasn't back from a conference on time. I think it was snowy. You know, some of you are going, God, I know that. Waiting for somebody in the snow. That's my temptation. Now, I don't worry. It's my biggest temptation. My father told me a few months ago, he may have told you if you've met with him. He's 90. And he says, I've lived this long because he's not anxious. That life has been good because he's not anxious. You know my favorite proverb, tranquility gives life to the flesh. The passion makes the bones rot. This is one of them. And it's not because I don't struggle with this. That's what I'm saying. This is where I'm tempted. Doesn't change the rules. The Lord says to Evan, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. Now that was, that's the Lord's view. Now you can look at St. Paul saying much the same thing. Philippians, be anxious over nothing but with prayers and supplications. I want you to be free from anxiety. I think that's in Corinthians, right? Christianity has no place for your anxiety. You will be, and your die, if you're keeping your anxiety, is darkened. It is not sound. You will, you know, I know situations where the anxiety of a parent made the kids, when they came back to town, not want to stay with their own parents. They would ask us. They could stay at our house rather than with their parents because of the anxiety of the mother over the years. They don't want to be around it. It darkens the situation. I want you to think in terms of it because it's the, it's the home. It's like worry is there for me, it's there for you as well. You may have thought of other people's crimes Oh, how, how would a person who wants to walk in the light, who, who has a same-sex attraction, how do they do it? Well, the, the person who struggles with that looking at you and says, that's not a problem. I'm wondering how you get it. How do you think you're walking in the light with that much anxiety? I'm sorry. That's constant. That's every story. That's every tomorrow. Not only when you're, when you're anxious for tomorrow, guess what? There are infinite tomorrows, aren't there? <laughs> not, not a real answer. <laughs> infinite imaginary tomorrows that you write up. Because if somebody says, oh, that can't happen because, and they give you the reasonable answer why that can't happen, and your mind instantly has another story of how it could go sideways on you. What can go wrong? What to worry about? Now, you say, Evan, why did you have the rest of the Sermon on the Mount on here? Because Jesus gets, he says, he sort of limbers himself up on this anxiety thing, because he knows he's gotcha. He knows, he knows, he knows you're, you're full of it. 
And you don't like to be called a man of little faith, a Gentile man of little faith. And he told you not to worry about tomorrow. And you, you want to drag out all your responsible words and throw them on the floor in front of you. See, I'm being good. No, you're not. Because I want to remind you, in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, there's a few things, famous passages. Judge not, lest you be judged, right? That's verse 1 of chapter 7. That you be not judged. Now, what I want you to do with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is think of these passages in light of you not giving up anxiety. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. The measurement you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Oh man, you really want to help the people in the you know, sex trade or the abortion industry or whatever, whatever the crime of the century is. You know, uh, and those are social action stuff. And, or you have other sins that are problematic to you. The Lord was just very clear with you about your anxiety, wasn't he? And you were kind of setting Jesus aside, weren't you? Because you were going to live by your anxiety, not, not by the Lord's control of his universe, not by your trust in him, not because he has made everything and he cares for you, but because you want to be anxious because that's your sin. Oh yeah, I don't around, run around with wild women and people who make you write bad checks, but... Anxious? That's almost sanctified. Because you feel kind of responsible. Remember you told yourself, this is the, I'm being responsible? I love too much. You know, women could be, they, they, they could think of this as a virtue. It's wicked. The Lord either tells you to do something and you do it. You think it. If you don't know how to think it, you say, I'm going to learn how to think it. I'm going to find somebody who will tell me how to think it. I'm going to look and study the scriptures to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. So that those things that I need, God will bring to me naturally, because I have a job, miraculously, because he's good. But I need to know this, because this is wicked. And I am looking at my brother's eye, who's got a speck in it, and I've got this big backpack full of anxiety, the bricks of it, dragging me down, making me not rejoice in my God, not believe in my God at all, little faith, Gentile mentality. How can you say to your brother, let me take a speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Don't excuse your anxiety. If you're not getting it, you, you better be confessing it, that you have sinned against God, and you now need to confess that you haven't sought learning the kingdom and righteousness. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to expect it out of your brother's eye. When you get set free from anxiety, Life is open. God is, in his, is enthroned in the heavens. He is your God. It doesn't matter if, they, if you need a sandwich. It doesn't matter if they're trying to kill you. It doesn't matter. You're not your own. You understand where things are. 
what they mean. But when you wage war, when you talk about anxiety, watch TV for a while. Almost every commercial is rooted. Have you noticed how your face is getting more wrinkled, ladies? They got stuff for that. Expensive stuff for that. I mean, it's amazing. Almost every commercial is the fear of some form. So we're trained to serve mammon. We're trained to serve treasures on earth. Trained to desperately try to fix the problem because that's when the anxiety hits us. We will do anything. Money is a medium of exchange. We will spend it to fix the problem. Because that's what makes us at peace is fixing the problem. And believe me, Jesus knows that when he says these things, and I know that I want you to remind yourself, you're not at war with Evan. Maybe, okay, maybe you don't like his fat face up there saying these things, but this is the Lord talking. Do not give the dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before swine. That phrase? That's what's happening right now. Some of you who are just not pleased with how this is going that you are not allowed to be anxious anymore. You've got to find a way to get it back. And this is a pearl from Jesus Christ tossed in front of you as a dog or a pig. Because when the pigs don't like it, they will turn, trample it underfoot, and attack you. It's going to happen. Just like the eye that sounds, we're describing the circumstance. Uh, do you look at this correctly? You say, well, Evan, I don't think you got it. I may have it wrong. I may have aspects of this that I don't understand. Well and good. Have you pursued the kingdom of God and his righteousness before all these things so that you understand what God has made and how he does things? Or are you trying to carve a niche for your anxiety? This is the passage that I preached on to ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Remember that? Ask ministries. For everyone who asks receives and who seeks finds. For him who knocks it will be opened. Remember he does all those things for the birds of the air? Remember those things? He does those things for the flowers? Remember he's that God of that? Do you believe in your God? Do you believe in your God who responds to your prayers? Do you seek? Do you ask? Do you knock? And then he reassures you. Or what man of you, if his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, Gentile, unbelieving, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. So, how did you deal with your anxiety? Just like Paul says in Philippians, with prayers and supplications, with thanksgiving, make your needs known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Is that what you do? Or do you have anxiety? And do you start to monetize your anxiety 
so that your husband or your wife or your kids or your friends all know what kind of financial plan you have to deal with this? Or do you lay it before the Lord? Do you know your God is good? You even know that you would give something to your kids, so you probably stop believing that he made the heavens and the earth because you don't believe that those flowers were designed by him. You probably also don't think he's any better than your earthly father, probably worse, because he will not give you things in response to your requests. My kids would always ask me, because I was the nice one. I wasn't very wise. Like, Dad, can I have a Coke? Yeah. I had 50 Cokes a day. <laughs> Father, can I have a Coke? You back? I'm the popular one. I wouldn't give him a stone. I wouldn't say no. I'm reasonably benevolent. I have a Coke. They want a Coke. Here's a Coke. You believe in God. Part of the problem may be that you don't. Oh, men of little faith, what are the Gentiles going to do but build their own world? What are you going to do but build your own world and worry about it? Because you don't control the future. You don't control things like God. So whatever you wish the men would do to you, so do to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is easy, it leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those that find it are few. Every once in a while you'll run across something in the Lord's teaching, and you go, well, I'm not doing that. There's something that really is inappropriate about Jesus Christ and the church knows that it's inappropriate. We have figured out ways to make Christianity completely palatable. Not always in wrong thinking. Not everything is wrong. The church does, but too often we do those things. Arrange it so we don't have to. Do the difficult thing. Believe the odd, the odd request. Some of what the life is, is the narrow. Some of what the life is, is hard to find. And only a few people, maybe you guys, will find it. But you've got to look. You've got to believe it's going to have that quality. Hard to find. Straight and narrow. Difficult to get at. What happens when you have this anxiety? Just like the guys on the commercials, Billy, what's his name, died. Billy what? Mays, Billy Mays. Passed on to his reward. So he won't be shouting at us anymore. There's other guys, Vince. Vince would shout at us and he got sent to jail, I think. Um, people sell us things. And salesmen, they're part of, the, a part of our world. Everything from the carny, when you're walking down the, the main drag of a fair, yelling at you about playing a, to impress your girlfriend. We know that these things are out there. 
But when you are anxious, you kind of want a prophet. You kind of want somebody to tell you, one, this is okay. You're just broken. The world is broken. I'm going to sell, I was talking about the other day, you know, you get those stones that say, hope, live, laugh, love on them. I'm going to get one that says futility. I'm going to hand them out. Or throw them. (laughs) (laughs) What in the world? It'll be a ministry. ministry. But you can be a part of it. Beware of false prophets. You should be really, if you're going to hang on to your anxiety, (laughs) you're a sucker for this. Who will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Remember how it says in Timothy about false teachers, they make their way into households finding weak women who are burdened with sins and swayed by various impulses and who will listen to anybody and never come to a knowledge of the truth. Impulses, like their anxieties. What are we actually measuring? Are you measuring a life free from want? The Lord knows you have these needs. Life is not to be there free from want. What we're looking for is the fruit that Jesus Christ makes in you. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? So every sound tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears evil fruit. A sound tree cannot bear evil fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits. A lot of popular and well-known verses in this section. You will know them by their fruits. Do you measure your world, remember, by God's kingdom and his righteousness, not about whether your needs are met? How many times do you look at a church and go, are my needs met? Shut the heck up. Have you sought the kingdom? Have you sought the righteousness of God? Final warning here. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, So might want to be seeking the kingdom and his righteousness rather than seeking your own answers. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. There's a lot. There's going to be a whole category of very surprised, religious, Protestant, Orthodox people going to hell on the last day. Not because they don't believe, you know, Evan's peculiar doctrines. I have peculiar doctrines. Because they don't believe Christ's. They have done a lot of religion in the name of Jesus. Very powerful. It's not not just a lot of it. Not just a, a big, big headquarters building in Tulsa, but powerful. You know, look at that. Casting out demons, prophesying, mighty works. The list is all power. And it's all religion. And it's all Jesus. He says, that's not my will. 
If you do the will of my Father, then everyone, verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, remember, he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, whoever hears my words and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock, and the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall. Search of all sorts of moments for anxiety. Just imagine yourself being a, a mother with uh, two toddlers in the cabin. This is going on. Hurricane came up the bay, and it's shaken you every which way but Sunday. But your husband built the house on a rock, did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You want to be afraid of something? How the darkness because of the way you see the world, because you don't say, I, this is unacceptable. Anxiety is unacceptable. I must confess it. I must grow in grace and understand what's going on with me, why I don't trust the living God in his world. Because what I really should fear, when it says, do not fear him who can kill the body, and after that has done nothing, do nothing, but fear him rather once he has killed, can cast both body and soul into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's what you're up against. It's not that there aren't things to worry about. You bet. We're just worried about the wrong thing. We're fearing the wrong agent. Because I could easily set aside the fear of God. I could repent. I could be forgiven. So the question is really, do you want your anxiety or God's peace? That's you know you're not allowed to be anxious. You know that. And you know you really shouldn't be wandering around giving any other Christians advice about how they should live their life if you are an anxious Christian. And that, your eye is darkened. You are going into greater darkness. It's not going to be good. That was the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And it says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. I hope you were too. I hope you have to go, I, I don't even understand where he's coming from on this. This is not a very good system of home budgeting. Go back and read it. Because he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Oh, scribes will get you. They're not as bad as false teachers. They're not false prophets. They're not people who lead you, you massively astray. Send your money in and I'll send you, you know, Jordan water uh, and a prayer rug made out of newsprint. They're not bad that way. But there's, there's sensible theologians who will work their way around this little problem. Jesus is speaking to you with authority. And the people heard that. And you probably, as you read through this, go, I don't... I, what? What? Be anxious over nothing. Today has enough trouble for itself. I thought I was responsible for everything that's coming. You're not. You're responsible for right now. Trust the Lord. Let's thank Him. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. You're kind to us. We'd ask that we would trust you completely and we would seek your kingdom. 
In your son's name we pray. Amen.